Last week we thought about Jesus, the embarrassment, and I'd like us, if we possibly can, to think about Jesus, the fulfillment. These pictures are going to stay there of Mary expecting of Joseph, who was rather concerned, and the baby who is born. Is it a song that says it's the most wonderful time of the year? Yes. Okay. Uh, It happens each time this year, doesn't it? Um, Each year passes by and we're told it's the most wonderful time of the year. But the question is, what do these years add up to? Year on year, sort of like a marker, isn't it? Where is it going to? Where is it going to? Are we going somewhere? Each Christmas is a milepost along the journey. But what is the journey? From where to where? From somewhere to somewhere? Uh, Our human race is on this journey. Where have we come from and where are we going to? As individuals, we're on a journey. We can't help it. The years tick by. What is our destination? What is this journey all about? Where are we progressing to? If history and time is a river flowing along, where does the flow take us? Where is it meant to take us? Is there a destination, or in the words of Matthew's Gospel, a fulfillment? That's what I'd like us to think about this morning. So if you have a Bible there, you might like to look at it, and we're in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. And the sentence that I'd like to spend most of our time thinking about is this sentence, verse 22 and 23, which offers a commentary, or if you like, an explanation of these events in, the, in, the, in these terms. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child, or in the the Greek says, have have in the belly. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And there's a a word that I think most of our translations miss out, which is right at the beginning of of verse 23, which is the word look. Uh, old, old English would say, behold. Um, modern translators tend to miss it out. But it is a, a way of saying, hey, listen up, look. And that, actually that word pops in uh, beginning of verse 20. After, he had, after Joseph was um, thinking all about this, considering this, look, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared. And the word also pops up in chapter 2, verse 1, where the magi, the wise men as we call them, or the kings as we call them, came to Jerusalem, and there's a look there. Uh, Look! These 
Magi uh, come into the story. There's also a look in chapter 2, verse 9. Look, the star appeared. So it's, it's asking our attention, and uh, our attention particularly, as we're thinking this morning, to those words that are up on the screen. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I'd like to think about fulfillment. So I looked in online in the English Oxford Living Dictionary, which says, Fulfillment is the achievement of something desired, promised, or predicted. And the example is, Winning the championship was the fulfillment of a childhood dream. Seems like a reasonable use of the word fulfillment. The child has a dream. I would love to win the championship. And in later life, he or she wins the championship and there is a fulfillment of the childhood dream. That seems to work, doesn't it? Uh, it uh, uh, another meaning, satisfaction or happiness as a result of fully developing one's potential. Now, potential is a very slippery um, concept, but anyway, here we go. Um, here's the example. She did not believe that marriage was the key to happiness and fulfillment. Well, that's what she thought. But the, the idea of fulfillment, um, I suppose, being all that I could be, all that I was meant to be, um, can this be fulfilled in the state of marriage? So a- another use of the word fulfillment. The, the other, this following one, I don't think was helpful, but for the sake of completeness, it says the meeting of a requirement, condition, or need, so the fulfillment of statutory requirements. So that sentence is enough to chill all the trustees who've been thinking, oh, I hope we have fulfilled all the statutory requirements. So we'll... Just move swiftly on. We get the, the general idea. I thought I'd give you a whole load of, of, uh, of possible thoughts about fulfillment. And I should stop to say that the, uh, the Greek word, which is being translated because Matthew's Gospel is written in Greek, is actually simply the word to fill. And that opens up thoughts of what this, uh, what this word is meaning, to fill, to fill up, and thus to fulfill. So uh, you could think about fulfilling or fill-fulling. Um, for example, an empty glass, which you fill, and it turns into a full glass. So there's something glass-shaped that's empty, and you pour water in it until it becomes a full glass. So that would be fulfilling, if you see what I mean. Uh, So if you'd like to put this into your imagination, uh, get a balloon. You might have done this in your mischievous youth. Uh, Get a balloon. Instead of filling it with air, you fill it with water, and it becomes this big, heavy, floppy thing. Are you imagining that? Tie it? Go upstairs when your mum and dad weren't looking? Find an innocent passerby? Throw the balloon? It becomes a water bomb. How, how, how much innocence is painted on your faces? They're thinking, I've never thought of doing that. 
strange suggestion, but I could see one or two people saying, yeah, I remember doing that. So, but it's, it's something that gets filled full, and it turns into something with quite different potential to what it had when it was a little floppy balloon. Um, or let's, give, uh, let's go back to the idea of fulfilling. So here, imagine uh, a child who is good at the egg and spoon race at school, and as they grow up, they turn into Usain Bolt or something like that. You think, what a fulfillment of you know, how much progress this child has made. could see it in them at the beginning, but wow, what he's turned into. Or a little girl who loved dolls and teddies and ends up having a million children, and you think, yeah, that's, you can see that fulfillment there. Or somebody, little boy, playing with trains and Meccano, turns into a civil engineer with real trains, and I will leave that to your imagination. I think I'm correct in saying that Princeton University... Uh, is said to have, so Princeton University, it's very famous, isn't it, Princeton University? Even I've heard of Princeton University. It started off as being a log college, uh, made out of logs, I presume, and people sitting around with their slates and whatever, and it started off with just those few people, and so it got fulfilled into this vast international global centre of excellence and learning and so on. So you, you get the idea, lots of little examples of something that's fulfilled, filled full. Yeah? With me? No? Yes? Or a screechy child violinist. You know, turns into uh, a wonderful, a wonderful violinist, uh, virtuoso. So you get the idea of something that's perhaps little and has a certain shape, and it gets filled and fulfilled. Okay, get the idea. Now, Matthew, when he wants to tell us about Jesus, uses the idea of fulfillment a lot. Would you like to look at these verses? He specifically states, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. He says that in verse 22, and the prophet he's referring to is the prophet Isaiah. I don't think he actually says it's Isaiah, but that's where the quote comes from. And in chapter 2, verse 15, he says, if you look, chapter 2, verse 15, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, quote, out of Egypt, I called my son, unquote. And that's the prophet Hosea. doesn't tell us that either, but that's where the quote comes from. And in chapter 2, verse 17, he says, Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. And this wasn't such a nice fulfillment. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. That's to do with the slaughter of all the babies, which is not a very nice Christmas story, but that's, it's part of it. These words, he says, this is, this is going on all through this, and actually it goes on through the rest of Matthew's Gospel. He says it's all, one way of understanding this is that there's a fulfillment going on in these events, all this, what did he say? All this took place to fill, 
to fulfill the words of the prophet. Uh, and chapter, oh, there's chapter 20, chap, verse 23. Yes, indeed. Chapter 2, verse 23 says, And so was fulfilled. So this is to do with Jesus living in a town called Nazareth. And so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. So he's referring to more than one prophet in this case. He will be called a Nazarene. And if you... If you've looked into your Bible and looked at those, you will know that the filling is, works in different ways in these different quotes, and some of them are quite mind-stretching, but in each case, he says, there was something that's got filled and fully filled, and uh, that's how we're to... Uh, that's one of the ways in which we can clearly understand what's going on in the birth of Jesus. So I've got a little picture of a glass being uh, filled... You notice I've trickily made the glass bigger in the second picture. And we progress from the empty glass to the full glass. And of course, there must be a source of water to fill the glass. I've, so I've drawn a tap. That's supposed to be a tap. It's not a helicopter. Uh, there's a, a tap. And a hand to turn the tap. And a mind to think, I know what I'll do. I'll take this empty glass and fill it with water. So there's something going on in the whole idea of fulfillment. And I'd like to try and tease that out, I think, in five points this morning. So there's the thought. And here are my five points. So number one, fulfillment. This fulfillment is not the product of chance. This fulfillment is not the product of chance. There's a, a prevailing view that our universe is fundamentally and basically a chance thing. That's what the theory of evolution says. It says the basic understanding is that this is just chance thing. It's like a load of dice that get thrown in over millions of years and that's, that's, that's why we're here. I think if you, if you have faith to believe that, I really do admire you. A purely evolutionary universe ruled by chance and you inject things like competition for resources and survival of the fittest once chance has produced life. That does not ever result in fulfillment. They're two completely different thoughts. In a, an, in a purely chance universe, there would be change, but not progress. You can't explain progress, positive progress, through a chance universe. If you think of the high street, you think it's a, which is a Darwinian world, survival of the fittest, Think of high street traders, where independent traders get squeezed out by Tesco because that's the way the survival of the fittest works, or small shops get obliterated by online giants, which is the way the survival of the fittest works, and you say, is this progress? Uh, it's change, but you might well say, I would like to oppose that because I don't think that is progress. In fact, some of you here, when there was a... Uh, when there was a um, 
uh, planned to put a big Tesco on the corner there, deliberately said, I will oppose this because I don't think that's progress. Fulfillment, this thought of fulfillment, does not occur in a chance world. And the Bible says we don't live in a chance world. We live in a world where things move towards fulfillment. We live in a world where it is possible and right to pray. Listen to this. Your kingdom come. Get that thought? That's progress, isn't it? That's fulfillment. We pray, your kingdom come. We pray that history would move from small things to bigger things to the fulfillment of everything. That's the sort of universe that we live in. Number one, fulfillment is not the product of chance. Number two, the fulfillment that we have here implies and needs somebody to direct it. It doesn't just happen by itself. It is the product of a director who is moving things to their fulfillment. As in my little diagram of somebody who turns on the tap and thinks, I want to fill that glass, therefore I will turn on the tap. This fulfillment needs an external director. So Matthew is careful to say... All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said. This fulfillment is of the Lord's purposes. Fulfillment is when predictions and plans come to pass as part of an overall plan. It implies, doesn't it, the idea that somebody has thought, this is where we'll start and that's where I want to get to. And there's a personal that a person thinks that. The universe doesn't think of it itself. A person behind the universe thinks that and moves his plan forward. There's someone with a plan that has a purpose. There's someone with a power to make their plans happen. There's someone with an intention and a power to overrule in human affairs. And the Bible asserts and assumes this is the sort of world we live in. We don't just live in a world that runs itself. We live in a world in which there is a God who has uh, things that he initiates and things that he works through and fills and brings to fulfillment. In fact, In another part of the Bible, it says the God of the Bible is one who works out everything in accordance with the purpose of his will, which is a revolutionary thought, isn't it? It isn't just odd bits of the universe that are in accordance with his plan, but he's moving the whole thing towards the fulfillment of his purposes. He works out everything in accordance with the purpose of his plan. And that thought is either very frightening or very comforting. It's very comforting if you are saying, things have happened in my life which I can see no sense in. Things have happened in my life which have been very painful, very disappointing, very upsetting. Um, They've happened. And uh, uh, perhaps even as you sit here this morning, things are happening around you which you say, I've 
I can't understand why this is happening. It is extremely comforting to know that there is a God who is working all things towards the fulfillment of his purposes. It isn't like we're suddenly on the edge of a cliff and look down and we think there's, no, there's nothing holding any of this up. It's more like thinking, well, I don't know where I'm going. I'm in the dark on this, but there's somebody whose hand I can hold and who is holding me and leading me through and he knows where we're going. And I think that's extremely comforting. And if you're in a position of perplexity and trouble and pain today, hang on to that thought. He works all things according to the purpose of his will. And of course, it's very scary if you're not in tune with his purposes. His purposes are working this way, and you're thinking, I'm not in that. I'm, I'm not up for that at all. No, I, I want to run the world as far as I can run the world. I want in a completely different way. And uh, you suddenly realize there's a God who's running the world in, um, in a different way to you. And I think that's rather an intimidating thought because he's bigger than you are. He's bigger than we are, isn't he? I don't think we want to be in competition or opposition to this God. So that was the second point. This fulfillment has, a, has an external director moving these things. Number three. The fulfillment, we're told, is a fulfillment of words. So just going back to the original sentence, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Fulfillment of words. What the Lord had said. In other words, the truth behind this universe is that there is a word based rationale behind it. Somebody has invented words, thought words, spoken them into this world, and they form the plan and program of what he's going to do. There is a word-based rationale behind it. I think people have intuitively a sense that there must be some sense behind this universe. The Greek philosophers said there was a word, a logos, a word behind the universe, made sense of everything. Of course, in John's Gospel, he says this word became flesh and dwelt among us. This reason behind the universe, this thinking that underlies the universe, became Jesus. But that's not what Matthew says. He, says, he simply says, there is a word-based rationale behind what's going on. And it's not simply saying that we use words to talk about it afterwards, but saying that the thing that entered the past and shapes the future is the word spoken by the Lord. Just imagine that. Into our world, God spoke words, which are not just bits of print or vanishing vibrations of sound, but powerful to shape the future. These are the things which will be fulfilled. God will do that. He will fulfill his words. So there's some words being spoken. And you might say, that's interesting. I'd like to know what sort of words these are. What sort of plans does he have 
What sort of purposes does he have? And the answer would be, he has a very rich tapestry of words and plans leading from the past through the present to the future. It's a, a rich and full and comprehensive tapestry. And if you wanted, if you're interested enough to, to ask, well, can you put it into a nutshell? I think we could put it into a nutshell and say the whole thing is about God's people in God's place, under God's word, and under God's blessing. You know, we started off in the Garden of Eden. as God's people, just two of them, in God's place, under God's word and blessing, but they said, no, we're not having that, so they were expelled from that. And then you get the uh, Israel in God's place, God's people under his word and blessing, but in the end they said, no, we're not having that. And uh, the Lord Jesus came to take us to the place where we can be God's people, in God's place, under God's blessing, under God's word, and that's the, the, the thing from start to finish, if you like, in a nutshell. These words speak of community, people. They speak of environment, the place where God's put us, this world and its future. It, it's, it speaks about a, 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 a relating to God person to person by listening to what he said and trusting and obeying and relating to him on that basis. And it speaks about human flourishing, God, God blessing people, uh, making us the people he means us to be, giving us the future he, he intends for us. That's what these words are about. And it's a marvelous thing, it seems to me. And you might well say, if it's as, uh, as definite as that, I need to know these words. And you'd be absolutely right. And I know that some of you have been spending quite a while trying to get to know what has God said about this world, about the future, about who I am, and predominantly about who Jesus is. That's what these words are about. And we need those words. If you're a Christian, you need those words. And it might well be as a Christian, you feed on those words on a day-by-day -day basis. Do you ever do that? Do you do that? Do you read the Bible day by day? There are more people who do than are actually nodding in response. But th this is, we need those words. Th that's what God is fulfilling. Number four. The particular fulfillment that we have in the sentence we're thinking about involves a young mother and a baby. Let me just read it again. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, look, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's what's being fulfilled. So first thing about that, it involves uh, a young mother and her baby. Now the quote is from Isaiah chapter 7 and if you have the Goodwill to come this evening. We'll, we'll, we'll look at that in a bit more detail, but uh, let's just take this bit first. What is it about? It's about uh, the, the virgin in the thing that's being quoted. That, could, that simply means an, un, an unmarried woman, a maiden, a girl. 
And if we were to, if we were to go back to the original, uh, where it's quoted from, or even if we just think about the subject, we have this question, can uh, this young woman produce offspring? It might be the, the, the question that, 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 that many women ask themselves. Uh, will I have a baby? And it, it, the Bible is quite realistic about this. It says that, uh, if we particularly go back to the, um, the ancient Hebrew culture, some women didn't have children. And in that culture, it would be a shameful thing and a sad thing. Um, I, I hasten to point out that in our, uh, in the way, in the place God's put us now, there's a call for people to be single. That's a blessing, and not every uh, married woman will have children. Um, that's in God's hands. But I'm thinking back the way it was looked in the Old Testament, it would have been. Um, a, a sad thing. If the woman could produce children, uh, she would be in that culture thought of as blessed and fruitful. And where the quotation comes from, the nation of Israel asks this question. So it's a little bit small writing, but I'll read it to you. And they as a nation say this, as a woman with child and about to give birth writhes and cries out in her pain, so were we in your presence, O Lord. We were with child, we writhed in pain, but we gave birth to wind. We have not brought salvation to the earth. We have not given birth to people of the world. And there's uh, Israel, metaphorically, as a nation, saying, we have not given birth. We have not been able to produce the offspring that um, the purposes of the Lord intended for us. And this issue of being able to have children uh, is a recurring theme in the Old Testament. So, Eve having been expelled from the garden or about to be expelled from the garden, Adam says, I will call her Eve because she will be, anybody finish the quotation? The mother of all living. She, it, it, you, you would expect her not to have children. She, was, she, she betrayed the Lord. But she will have children. She'll be the mother of all living. Do you remember Abraham's wife, Sarah? And for many years, she was unable to have a child. And the Lord intervened through his promise. And so Isaac was born. And it was laughably impossible. And Sarah laughed when she was told, didn't she? And the child's name was Isaac, or he would say Yitzhak, which means he laughs. Just amazing. Um, now then, I, I did this without checking. Was it Samson's mother who was promised a child by the angel? Was it Manoah? Or am I getting mixed up? Yeah. And Samuel's mother, Hannah, had no children. And she 
received the promise of a child as she prayed. So this, the Bible has a, a, a stream of, of this question of shall this woman produce a child? And you might say it's always a miracle to have a baby. That would be a helpful way to look at it. It's always a miracle. But sometimes God makes the miracle more of a miracle than others. So it's always a wonderful gift. And sometimes God makes that wonderful gift even more breathtakingly gigglingly, laughingly wonderful. And this promise says the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And at very least, this promise is picking up on the ability of God to take... uh, a woman, women, who, as you look at it from the human point of view, have no ability to produce children, and they have children. And the, 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 there's a filling, if you like, a fulfilling in the lives of these women to bring fruitfulness out of our dryness, to bless in Sarah's age. It was, in Sarah's case, it was old age, wasn't it? She was too old to have children to turn around human limitations for his own purposes. Of course, in this case, it's the extreme. He's filled out, in the extreme case, that this lady hasn't even had a husband. God fills this with possibility. I can do more than you can ask or imagine, says God. And I can bring children into this world and this particular child into this world against all the odds and against all the possibilities I think that's a wonderful God to have don't you a God who can bring almost something out of nothing and again maybe in your life at the moment you're thinking my situation is just impossible the problems that I face I can't see how they'll ever be resolved the, the needs I have, I can't see any way that these can be met. But please don't forget the God who says, I can f- fulfill the virgin being with child and having a son. God can do that. I think he can do what you need to be done for you, can't he? You might say, I want that God in my life. I need that God in my life. Fifth point, last point. He's fulfilling the girl having a baby, the virgin being with child, and he's fulfilling God with us. That's what it says, isn't it? They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Now, what, let's, we'll, we'll, let's just think about this and then we'll fill it. But God with us is... Now, I've got uh, something I haven't clicked here. It's... Oh, dear. Let me try and go back. Right. Mm. So get, what's it supposed to say is it's the opposite of... Um, 
What would it be like to say God is not with us? God is not with us. If you say that, God is not with us. If God is not on our side, if God is not on our side, what sort of help do we have? What sort of comfort do we have if God is not on our side? This says God is with us. What would it like to be if God is not present with us? How comforting it is to have God's supportive presence. Not just with us to watch us make a mess of things, but with us to help us. That's a great thought, isn't it? Our God is with us. Um, we don't, the, the, the thought of not walking in life alone and not walking in life with a sort of headmaster just watching us to say, well, you got that wrong and you got that wrong and see me afterwards in my study, but the God who will say, I'm with you to help you, to strengthen you. And when you can't manage, my strength is there. God is our help and strength, that sort of with. God's assistance, there's a sentence which says we pray, how does it say, uh, to give us grace to help us in our time of need. Um, I'm quoting that partially. What would it be to not have God with us? To not have God with us, I think, is a terrible, terrible, lonely, isolated, fearful place to be. To say God is not on our side, his presence will not give me his support. His assistance and help are not there. That is not a good place to be. Maybe you're choosing where you're going to walk at the moment, and I say, please don't choose to walk so that God's over there and you've walked away from him. We want to be in the place which is the fulfillment of this promise, God with us. It's a great place to be. God with us. And this baby, we're told, is the fulfillment of this promise. God is with us. But how full does he fill this thought, God with us? So there's a sort of with us in terms of, uh, and this came up in the American shootings, didn't it, where people said, well, our thoughts and prayers are with you, but we won't repeal any gun laws. And people mocked that idea of thoughts and prayers. Uh, thoughts and prayers, are, I think thoughts and prayers are good. Um, it's just that it would be even better if somebody did something. Yes? You ever thought of that? Now, when it says God is with us, does it, is God saying, well, my thoughts and prayers are with you, but I'm not going to lift a hand to do anything? I think it's not saying that, is it? saying, my thoughts and prayers are with you, and I'm with you, and I'm acting on your behalf. That's God with us. And I'm sorry, I think the clicking has gone wrong here, but we will, when we look at the baby, we see that it's gone even further than that, that the God with us is not simply saying, I'm with you and my action is with you, but I'm with you in person. That the baby is 
God with us. And Matthew will, um, having advanced that thought, he'll take us on through that as he goes through his gospel, but he just advances the thought at the moment. And it's confirmed by, um, well, we'll see in, in the next one, God with us. So <coughs> I lied to you when it was said it was five, it was six. The sixth thing about this fulfillment is it focuses on Jesus himself. Because this particular quote is there to explain the nature, or if you like, the person of Jesus. Let me just read it to you in, in full. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And one of the things that that's explaining is how this baby can be, uh, well, is a legitimate baby, but he has no human father. Uh, he's, it's there to resolve or to explain this, that the baby has no human father. Is he from the human race? Yes, he is. He has a human nature. He is the child of Mary. But, yeah, he's in the belly of Mary. That's, but is this the only thing that describes his being? And the answer is no. Oh, dear, my clicking's gone wrong. Because he's from the Holy Spirit. And that's said to us twice. It's said in verse, 19, uh, verse 18, she's with child from the Holy Spirit, and verse 20, she's what is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. And what does this make him? Well, that's a breathtaking question, uh, and one that you, you wouldn't want to embark on without a lot of care and caution. But I can tell you that no matter how carefully and cautiously you take it, you can't escape the conclusion that this baby, this human baby, is also God. And the Magi come along, and the issue about the Magi is worship. They said, we want to worship him. Oh, dear. Click, click. They worship. They worship this baby. They're right to do so. And my question is, do we? Have we quite understood how full God has fulfilled this. He's fulfilled this idea of God with us so full that he is there himself in this child. And we worship him. So my conclusion is this, that we thought about fulfillment. The filling up, the fulfillment. And my point number one was it's not a chance thing. It's a purpose thing. We don't live in a world in which the bottom line is it's just chance. No, we don't. Number two, I said that there's a hand controlling this, that there's a God who is moving things to their fulfillment, and not just this, but everything. I said thirdly, that this is a God who does so by speaking. He speaks words. Fourthly, that... There is a miracle going on here of God bringing a birth where it was impossible. And he, uh, he, bring, he fills that miracle to its extreme 
limits by the impossibility being that the, the woman had never had uh, sexual intercourse with a man. Fifthly, I said that it, he fills up the idea of God with us by being God himself, and it all focuses on Jesus. So I'll risk clicking, and it didn't work. I'll just tell you what it said. What we're looking at is a God who fulfills everything, and the place where he focuses his fulfillment is Jesus himself. The purposes of history are focused in Jesus. That's where the stream goes. That's where the years find their meaning. That's the flow of this river of time. And I say, are you in or out? Are you in or out? Are you in God's flow of history? Say, so, yep, yeah, that's where I want to be. Or are you out of God's flow of history? Do the years take you along in the flow with Jesus? Or are you standing outside the stream and when all the years are finished, you will have found to have got nowhere? He is the fulfillment of the Lord's words. But he is also the one who is the fulfillment, or not, of each of our lives. He's the fulfillment. Let's sing a song together.